0: I'm at the corner of Lunt and Campbell on the city's north side. In front of me is a large field house. This is Indian Boundary Park. It's kind of an urban oasis, surrounded by European-inspired apartment complexes. Everyone I bump into at the park says they love it here, including a woman named Pink.
1: Um, it's just very peaceful, the scenery, um, it's a big park, very spacious, it's safe, you know.
0: Pink comes to the park to walk her Yorkie, Sasha. Other people are relaxing along the pond adorned with milkweed pods going to seed. On the other side, kids are running around the large wooden playground. (music) Curious City listener Amy Lorio says she made good childhood memories here. She grew up on the south side of Evanston and would come here with her dad and siblings.
2: For a kid, it's like an amazing playground. I do have some clear memories about crawling up in those little wooden spires and imagining how high I was, and going back there every now and again, even as an adult. And it just brings up all these childhood memories.
0: While Amy thinks back fondly about the park, as an adult, she started to wonder about the name. Why is it called Indian Boundary Park?
2: I'm not sure who told me once upon a time that, yeah, Indian Boundary was named because it was um, the boundary where the Native Americans couldn't cross. That's all I heard about it. She wanted to know more. Most of our ancestors came from other countries, but the events that took place between them and the Native Americans are something that is unique to this country. And I thought, That history in Chicago would be really fascinating to understand.
0: While settler colonialism isn't unique to the United States, Amy's right. The events that took place are unique to this country. The indigenous experience in the U.S. is different from those in Canada, Mexico, and other countries. Each nation-state has its own policies that look differently from one country to another. Even within the US, each native nation is also unique. So, I set out to learn about the Indian Boundary Line and entered a rabbit hole of federal Indian policy. Buju Indinwe Bejo Michigame and Gawin and I'm Caden Mills. I'm a student journalist at Northwestern University. What you just heard was a traditional Ojibwe protocol greeting. I'm a first-generation descendant of the Keweenaw Bay Indian community in Baraga, Michigan. I grew up in southwest Michigan, not far from the present-day reservation of the Pokagan Band of Pottawatomie. Coming up, we'll take a look at the history of Indian Boundary Park and its connection to local Native communities. We'll also look at the Native experiences in our region and recent efforts to reclaim land. That's next.
3: If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash
0: CuriousCity today to get 10% off your first month. While well, people no doubt know the name... It seems the history of how Indian Boundary Park got its name isn't widely known. The field house that stands today has Tudor-style wood framing on the outside and stucco walls on the inside. And there are a number of Native American relief carvings inside and outside the building. Those are Indian caricatures, wearing plain-style headdresses, a classic, stereotypical depiction of the Red Man, the vanishing Indian. We didn't even wear headdresses in the Great Lakes. So I wanna set the record straight. What does Indian Boundary mean? First, Indian Boundary Park has been around for a long time, even before the Chicago Park District was established.
3: Indian Boundary Park, as we know it today, was really made up to be the centerpiece of the Ridge Avenue Park District, which was a neighborhood park commission established in the 1890s.
0: That's Jojo Galvin an historian at the Chicago History Museum. In 1915, the Ridge Avenue Park District was buying up plots of land. They wanted to design a large urban oasis. That oasis became Indian Boundary Park. The park expanded to its current size by 1922. In the mid-1920s, a small zoo opened after the donation of a single black bear and at one time included everything from porcupine and deer to red pandas and peacocks. The natural pond was shaped into the lagoon that still exists today. The park features a large fort-like play area, dubbed Indian Boundary Village, and despite a few plaques, the origin of the name isn't explained too deeply.
3: The park gets its name because it runs along the northern boundary of an 1816 treaty line which ceded the Chicago area to the federal government. The line only remained in effect through 1833, when the Potawatomies were forced from the area in the face of white settlement.
0: The Potawatomi, along with many other Native nations, were living here in Chicago long before settlers showed up. After the War of 1812, an influx of settlers moved to the region and began heavily encroaching on Native people's lands. Jojo notes the 1816 treaty that established the Indian boundary line was a successor to a series of other treaties signed in St. Louis. In subsequent years, the two treaties of Chicago would seek to remove the Anishinaabe or the people of the Council of the Three Fires west of the Mississippi. The boundaries between what land was ceded to
3: white settlers by primarily the Council of the Three Fires, Ottawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi, and where white settlers and Indians, where the territories of each began and ended. But of course, as we know, by the 1830s, white settlers kept pushing that boundary, and ultimately Indians were forced out of the area due to white settlement. By
0: 1833, the Second Treaty of Chicago was signed, ceding five million acres of land to the U.S. government effectively rendering the 1816 boundary line obsolete. During this time, JoJo says white settlers continued to make their way into Chicago and around the area of the present-day park.
3: A guy by the name of Philip Leonard Rogers, who is the namesake of Rogers Park, arrived in about 1835 and he sets up a log cabin and really has the hopes of um, establishing a trading post with the native peoples in the area. So he built his cabin on roughly the
0: intersection of Lunt and the Indian Boundary Line. He was pretty successful. Rogers opened the door for more white settlers looking to trade with Native people. Bit by bit, settlers continued edging Native Americans out. So, you know, there was
3: a business interest in maintaining Indians
0: there for trade. But at the same
3: time, you know, this is a story we know all too well of a treaty proposes a certain boundary, but over time it gets eroded and Native
0: peoples get pushed further and further out. Ultimately, the Indian boundary line was meant to keep white settlers settled to the south and Native nations settled to the north. Whether it was signed with malicious intent or not, I really
3: don't know. But, you know, the historical record as to what happened definitely speaks for itself.
0: While Chicago and the greater United States sought to remove native peoples from the land east of the Mississippi River, they still hold on to that image of the past, as distorted as it may be. Doug Keel is an associate professor of history at Northwestern University and a citizen of the Oneida Nation of Wisconsin. His work focuses on tribal land recovery and anti-sovereignty movements that have come up with the successful acquisition of tribal lands. As he drives through the northern suburbs, he's reminded that settlers sought out the best lands. But of course, these lands were already inhabited by thriving communities.
4: It deeply upsets me to drive along the North Shore and to see what are small castles in Potawatomi territory. Right? In ancestral lands that have meaning for many more people as well, Ojibwe and Menominee and Ho Chunk, Miami, and so many people. And what they leave is only a trace of a faint representation of a Native person in a logo, in an image, in what is usually a literal cartoon.
0: He says these depictions often don't represent a real person. They're just a stand-in for Chicago's past. Examples of what Doug is talking about can actually be seen across the city and at Indian Boundary Park. Above the front door to the field house is a relief of an Indian wearing a plain-style headdress adorned with long eagle feathers. The same trope is present on the wooden play structure. Downtown, there's the bowman and the spearman, and the reliefs carved on the DuSable Bridge depicting the Angel of Destiny and white settlers fighting off merciless Indian savages at Fort Dearborn. Though these aren't historically accurate portraits, they are what non-Native people have come to expect in their colonial imagination, an exoticized and romanticized idea of Native Americans and their relationship to Chicago. Today, There are efforts to reclaim the land through land-back movements happening across the country in an effort to affirm sovereignty and maintain self-governance. Tribal nations are advocating for a transfer of decision-making power over land back to Native people without calling on current residents to leave, which is a common misconception. The federal government and the United Nations recognize the natural right of tribal sovereignty and self-governance. For some tribes, this has looked like co-management of public lands. Others are attempting to regain what was wrongfully taken from them without due process.
4: Land back is, I think, sometimes imagined as something that's maybe pie in the sky, like it's not real, that it's just a pipe dream, that it has no real potential, and that it could not be further from the truth.
0: Reservations were established to finally solve what many settlers called the Indian problem, It was supposed to be the end of encroachment, but even those lands were sold off to white settlers through the processes of allotment and so-called checkerboarding, further restricting the rights of tribal governments, rights that some have been fighting to regain. We'll hear more about those efforts coming up after the break. If Indian Boundary Park is a reminder of Chicago's historical wrongs, then land back movements are a way to correct those wrongs. Again, Doug Keel.
4: Narratives of indigenous removal in U.S. history have a tendency to focus on the southeast. And unfortunately, there's, there's sometimes a, a tendency in this part of the country uh, to imagine that Illinois uh, doesn't have uh, that same kind of history.
0: Doug says land back is a means of reestablishing self-governance of tribal territories and imagining new ways Native people can exercise their sovereignty, like co-management of public lands. One example, Grand Portage National Monument in Minnesota. It's co-managed by the Grand Portage Band of Chippewa Indians and the National Park Service. Doug says the core of the issue is about respecting treaty obligations that were negotiated generations ago.
4: According to the United States' own constitution, treaties are the supreme law of the land. The United States has had a habit of not treating its own treaties with Native people as being the supreme law of the land.
0: This includes recovering reservation lands, taken in ways that didn't recognize that government-to-government relationship between Native nations and the United States. In many instances, non-Natives actually own a majority of reservation lands— and it's in places like this, where some tribes seek to restore governance. Joseph Rupnick is the chairman for the Prairie Band Pottawatomie Nation, living in what is today Kansas. Despite being removed from this area more than a century ago, he says the band maintains deep ties to Illinois.
1: Prairie Band or Pottawatomie people, uh, we have the most signed treaties out of any tribal nation in the United States. We have 44 treaties that were uh, entered into and signed, all of which have been broken in one form or fashion or another.
0: The Treaty of 1816 that created the Indian Boundary Line was one such treaty. More significant to the Potawatomi, however, were the two separate treaties of Chicago.
1: The Treaty of Chicago is the one that uh, Potawatomi ceded about five million acres of land. And in that treaty, Congress kept in 1,280 acres for Chief Shabney and his band. And Shabney would be my uh, grandfather four generations removed uh, in the DeKalb County area or about 60 miles
0: west of Chicago. Chief Shabney was a war chief who oversaw the relocation of his band. He witnessed the U.S. government's attempts to remove all American Indian peoples west of the Mississippi River.
1: When we got removed, we eventually signed a treaty in 1846 for what our current reservation is in Kansas. Uh, We sent our scouts down here. They said, yes, that would be acceptable for us to live. So we signed the treaty in 1846 to move into Kansas. In that treaty, we bought a 30 square mile reservation.
0: The band prepared to move from their temporary home in Iowa where they awaited the creation of their new reservation with other bands that had also been removed as a result of federal policy.
1: While we were in that transition process, Shabney um, came down here to make sure that we were all settled because he was still a war chief at that time. So he was still part of our leader, but his land was up there in, in uh, Illinois. Came down here, of course, at that time, you couldn't make the trip in eight hours like you can in a car today. Probably took him two or three weeks to get down here check everything out, make sure everything was there. Well, when he was gone, the general land office in the state of Illinois came back and said, well, you abandoned that land. So then they just sold it off to whoever would buy it.
0: Chief Chabonet fought for recognition of his land for the rest of his life, and his fight continues over 180 years later. Chairman Rupnik says his mother started the latest push in the 1990s, But funds were limited, and many nations didn't have the power to start petitioning U.S. lawmakers until after the start of gaming. We uh, petitioned
1: our local senator, Senator Moran, who at that time sat on Indian Affairs Committee um, in the Senate to submit a bill for the uh, Chabanay Indian Reservation Settlement Act of 2021. And in conjunction, there is a uh, another bill that is in the House right now, um, and that is under the Natural Resources Committee. So we have them filed. Uh, we're
0: just waiting for them to be heard again. In 2020, the U.S. Supreme Court heard a landmark case that reshaped Indian country. Literally. The ruling in McGirt v. Oklahoma held that, unless Congress has formally disestablished a reservation, it still exists. This led to nearly half of eastern Oklahoma being returned to tribal jurisdiction, though this was limited by subsequent rulings. Chairman Rupnick says they're waiting for Congress to recognize that the land in Illinois still belongs to the prairie Band Pottawatomie nation. They hit some delays, including Congress's recent attempts to fill the Speaker of the House role.
1: We're just biding our time. Hopefully we'll get a hearing in before
0: the end of the year. John Lau is an associate professor at Ohio State University and a citizen of the Pokagan Band of Potawatomi Indians. Like Chairman Rupnick, John says land back has had a long legacy. He says the Chicago lakefront, from Lincoln Park all the way down to the Gary Steel Mills, was never ceded in the treaties. After the Chicago Fire, new land was created out of Lake Michigan by filling it in with the debris. This new lake fill includes all of the land east of Michigan Avenue, and the Pokagon Potawatomi were never compensated for it. They fought the project and even took it to the U.S. Supreme Court in 1917, but their efforts were unsuccessful.
5: I find it fascinating because in 1917, my elders, my ancestors, were already making the land back movement, right? A hundred years before laying back became such a popular thing, and so we made uh, a valiant uh, effort at that, and we, many of us have not forgotten.
0: Much like the Prairie Band Potawatomi Reservation in DeKalb County, the court asserted the Potawatomi abandoned the land.
5: Still, my legal mind says, well, how do you abandon a lake bed? They filled in the lake bed. We never seeded the lake bed. Underneath the water is land. We never seeded that land. How can we abandon that land? Were we supposed to have canoes out there uh, every day for for 70 years? What you know? What was in the mind of this uh, United States Supreme Court?
0: The tribe maintains strong ties with the Chicago community, and has been involved in public art installations like the Who's Lakefront project. They also send delegates like their veterans group to ceremonies at the American Indian Center and powwows hosted by local schools. John says he often worried what impact racist monuments had on urban Indians living in Chicago,
5: especially the youth. What do they think? How does this affect them? Think about uh, themselves, their families, their tribes, their urban Indian community.
0: However, John Lau doesn't see the need to change the name of Indian Boundary Park. He feels changing the name might be another point of erasure of Native history
5: at least with Indian Boundary Park, it's like a, a, a teaching moment for Native people to tell other Native people, or for Native people to tell non-Native people, or non-Native people to tell other non-Native people. You know, there's a really interesting story
0: behind that name with that park. John highlights the need for more monuments that reflect and celebrate Black and Indigenous history in Chicago.
5: That boundary line was... As I understand it, realistically, just a line that reflected a treaty. And that gives an opportunity to talk about the whole treaty process, the legitimization of stealing Indian land. And that's what the country's founded on, right? It is the two original sins, Indian land and resources, and uh, African slavery. So you have these uh, two things that don't get talked about enough, that, um, should be. And I suppose that reflects too, uh, that, uh, we were never included in the American dream.
0: That teaching moment John talks about is true for our question asker, Amy L'Oreal. If the park was named something else, she doesn't know if she would have ever known this history. She says it makes her rethink the relationship between the settlers and the Native Americans.
2: When I think of Chicago history or whatever it's taught in school, it kind of stops in the 1800s, at least growing up, you know, going to school in the 90s and early 2000s. I feel like the history of Chicago didn't go back far enough. I had no idea about why this was called Indian Boundary. I thought it was an interesting name. I mean, parks are usually named after people. So I think that this is like a hint at some part of history that is forgotten about.
0: Jojo Galvin, with the Chicago History Museum, says Indian Boundary Park is an example of how complicated the broader history of the city is with indigenous peoples and how much work needs to be done to understand the past. But he doesn't want the focus of Indigenous history to just be about the damage. He says there's a lot to celebrate, including Chicago having one of the largest urban Indian populations in the country.
3: A lot of the college campuses from Northwestern, you know, to UIC, have Indian, and Indigenous scholars, students who are sort of matriculating and going to be that next generation of leaders and thinkers.
0: Like me. And I'm excited to be a part of the next generation. I am the seventh generation. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation and is produced by Jason Mark and Joe Dassault. Adriana Cardona-McGigat is Curious City's reporter. Maggie Sivett is the digital and engagement producer. Susie Ahn is our editor. Curious City is a production of WBEZ Chicago and is part of the NPR network. I'm Caden Mills. Miigwech bizzindahwek. Thank you for listening.
5: At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, Sometimes, you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your
0: podcasts.
4: Before we start the show, we here at
0: Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank
4: you.